Hi, I'm Shaylee Shibaxi Ritchie. And I'm her co-host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens. Spoiler alert, we are sisters. And best friends. We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved. We had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast. Then, during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. Hello, hello. Welcome. I am speaking listeners. I am so very excited to tell you about our guest in the speaker's chair today. She is my best friend in the whole world, Jen Taylor. People who know me or people who are listeners of the show have definitely heard me reference Jen, my best friend Jen. Uh, it rolls off the tongue. Jen Taylor is an amazing person. She works in early childhood development. She is a teacher in the infant room at um, an early child care center in Grand Rapids. She is a, a mom of two. She came on the podcast today to talk about parenting her oldest child, Ava, who, who is neuroatypical and has some mental health challenges. The way Jen talks about, about parenting Ava, you know, she talks about how it's really survival day to day. But when you listen to what Jen is saying about her world, about Ava's world, and what she does to help Ava navigate that world, there's so much depth and love and compassion and strength that I have seen for years and years. And it was just time for the world to hear what I've known. I could go on with a love fest, but I won't. I'm just going to say, enjoy our conversation with Kosha's best friend, Jen Taylor. She is speaking. Okay. Hi, I'm Jen Taylor. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm speaking. Ah! <laughs> Welcome, Jen. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Kosha, before you start. Okay, okay. I'm going to say welcome to Jen and introduce our listeners to our, our guest today, who is your best friend. Yes. Now I'm going to stop, and now you guys can have your little love fest. No, no, no. Our listeners have heard of Jen. <laughs> They know what she does. They know she has two kids. 
They know she's given me sound counsel when I'm trying to deal with anything with daycare. But I will say that the best advice I've gotten from you about daycare is always advice for me and not for how to deal with the teachers. I've always found that you're really good at at being able to set expectations, manage my expectations when it comes to childcare. Like, hey, check yourself without saying, you're like, you're never mean about it, obviously. Like, right. Fuck you and check yourself. But, you know, if I'm like, hey, this kind of upset me or what do you think about this? You're always really good. I think because you're a parent and such a tenured daycare teacher that you're very good at being like, okay, but maybe this is a you problem, Coach. <laughs> in saying like, where are your expectations lying? Yeah, to manage a whole other classroom, not just your own, right? And I remember when I was looking for daycares, the number one thing you always told me was like, you have one kid, they have 20 or whatever, 16, you know, like that there must be a lot of kids where you go, this kid needs a nanny. Oh, so many, so many, so many. <laughs> I think I can imagine, Jen, that you see a lot of parents especially because of the room that you work in the pop, you know, the kids that you work with, which is like, this is the first time they're letting their kids go. Mm -hmm. And it's understandable, right? That for every set of parents, this baby is the most precious child. Oh my God. Oh my God, my baby. And then for you, it's like, yeah, it's a baby. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying like, we're going to you know, it's not unimportant, but it's like your baby's no more important than anyone else. Yeah. It, I constantly tell, like, I don't know how parents do it. Drop them off to me. Have they never met me before? I've only ever one time. And it was when I came down to see Kosha for her birthday, left Owen with anybody other than my family. And it was like every 30 minutes, I was like, did you text your sitter? Like, what's Owen doing? Is he, is he awake? Did he wake? Like, it was weird. I don't know how people do it. Good on them, I guess. But <laughs> I know one of the things that is a struggle is parents who don't put their babies down. Mm-hmm. And so like we, we have a sister, a little sister who um, their baby just struggled with being put down, but she's not in daycare. What kind of, I mean, this is really not the point of the podcast, but what <laughs> advice do you give? Like, you know, like if you're expecting to put your kid in daycare, you should put them down. Like, what do you usually say? Uh, Yeah. Well, if we have the chance to talk to them in advance, a lot of times we don't see like it's all office stuff. So we don't see them until they come. But I have recently in the last like year or so, I've been starting to like, I'll snag the email out of the office and I'll start that contact first. It's just a lot of practice and patience and consistency. So it's like, okay, I know that they only like to contact sleep, which is a nightmare. Um, why don't we try, you know, okay, I want you to try to lay him down for 15 minutes, like just teeny tiny little increments until we can get, and then your expectations need to be, there are seven other infants when you bring your baby here, I will do every, their needs will be met, they will be full, they will be dry, they will be, I cannot just hold them. 99.9% of parents are like, I get that, okay, you know, it'll, it's going to be good for them. Every once in a while, you'll have one where they're like, this just isn't for me, I'm going to quit my job, whatever, and that's fine. But as long as you're coming into us knowing that we're not only taking care of your child, um, most parents are very, very, very open and very, they like, they admit, they're like, you do this. This is our first kid. Please point us the right direction. What do we need to do? 
So it's usually, it's usually pretty easy. That's usually what I did for the first, I don't know, seven years of my life, of my kid's life, where I was like, I've not done this before. What do I do? <laughs> Jen, we're so, so thankful that you joined us. Um, Thank you. I'm excited. I'm scared, but I'm excited. It's a conversation. Actually, it's better than the conversation because you don't have to ask me questions. You don't have to ask Pusha <laughs> questions. But I do have to have the answers. Well, yeah. No, no. But here's the thing. How can you not have answers about your own experience? Yeah. As long as you're not asking me technical stuff. <laughs> There's no technical stuff here. The question is going to be, so what was it like when Ava was a kid? There's no real answer to that. Like, I didn't change any laws or start any, like, I literally am surviving from day to day. So let's talk about that. So, uh, Jen, you are Kosha's best friend. How long have you two known each other? How long have we known each other? How long have you been? So I've... I'm not asking you, Kosha. But I'm going to tell you, she's going to ask me. Exactly what I'm going to do. How long, have, how long have you been dating Brian? Or dating Brian? How long so have you been 20 years. Brian? Almost 20, about yes. 20 years. Yes. All right. And then when did you guys really become friends? Was it right away? Did it take some time? We were friends. We were right? friends. We were friendly. It was just probably a few, not even a few years, a year or two into it, probably. It was that party that you had. Yeah, I had a Halloween party um, that Kosha had originally had other plans for, but Brian was coming up. And then she ended up, her plans fell through and she had texted me and was like, hey, can I, do you care if I come? I'm like, obviously I do care about whatever it's too late now. For <laughs> so sure. No, but it kind of, it branched out from there. Yeah. I think. You know, we just sat down. We're like, you know, I really do love you. And uh, like, I really do. It, it was she was a bonding like, moment. yeah, you're not just Brian's like girlfriend. Like we just had like a love fest and then it just grew from there. And now our, our husbands are really, really close. And yeah, they've been friends since high school. Yeah. They wouldn't see each other if it wasn't for us. Cause we do no, absolutely. all of the coordinating. Well, that goes without saying. <laughs> it's Brian and Luke, so yeah. I'm Kosha, you and I live three miles from each other, and I'm not sure that we would see each other if you and I didn't be like, should we have dinner tonight? Yeah, right. So, yes. so and how long have you been married? Uh, 2004. Same as you, oh, 18. Yeah, so 18, 18 years. years, yep. Almost 19. Yeah, like, you guys are, like, on the same, very similar trajectory. Yeah, same trajectory, <laughs> Because uh, their wedding was a month after yours, oh. September 18th. Yep. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. Nice. August 21st. And Spruhaz was the same day as mine, right? Yeah, several years later. Yeah, so I had just recovered from Shailashi's extravaganza. And your wedding was like this beautiful It must have been day. easy peasy. It was a day. <laughs> it was so lovely. <laughs> and nobody expected anything from you, Kosher. You're like, I just get to go and sit there. Yeah, she didn't do my makeup. Yeah. Okay, but it wasn't like you weren't up at five o'clock in the morning four o'clock what time do you, it was like three o'clock in the morning I think when you and I got up yeah why did we go to bed yeah we were lying down <laughs> yeah that's true uh okay so you got married in 2008 and when did you have your first kid four no 2004 yeah. I had Ava in 2008 all right so <laughs> <laughs> let's try that again you got married in 2004 and you had Ava your older child in 2008 yes and then you had your second kid in 2013 14 14 yep 14 okay so it does just to clarify Ava goes by she her mm -hmm. yes um okay so we've established sort of a timeline here were you excited to have kids like is that something you always wanted to do or were you like ah. yes always wanted to I do think I was in a 
in kind of a weird place when we actually did get pregnant because we were going through the like we're not trying but we're not not trying thing you know so I was a little more depressed through that pregnancy and stuff because I was still young and like none of my friends were doing this and like I literally was the only one so that part of it was kind of a bummer but um obviously never once have I looked back and regretted that yeah we've always wanted kids yes and then she was a challenge and a half so hence the six-year difference in between the two I get it (laughs) I was gonna say I think one of the things that we don't talk about very often in society especially for women being pregnant and then having a child is that yes you can be excited about having your baby and being pregnant and all that and still grieve the loss of what you are giving up because you can't ever go back. You don't ever get to be single again without children, right? Right. You can be single again, but you can never be without a child and just how much your life changes. And you can be sad about losing all that stuff and still be happy about what you're getting. And we just don't say that. Um, And so a lot of women suffer in private for feeling that way. We talk about postnatal right? Like, or, um, postpartum postpartum depression. depression. We do not talk about prepartum or like prenatal depression. It's situational depression in a lot of ways, but it is a thing. And as you both know, I really tried to get pregnant, right? Like I went Mm -hmm. through a year and a half miscarriages, infertility, and I really struggled when I was pregnant with bats. Because it was like, it is that like, oh my God, there's like literally no going back now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very permanent decision. (laughs) Yeah, it absolutely is. We sort of enshrine motherhood in a, in a way that's like, this is going to be the end all be all of your life. And it's going to be, you know, perfectly fulfilling. And, and, you know, as you were saying just now, like that, um, she was hard from the get go. And that's why it took you six and a half years to decide to have another one. It's not endlessly fulfilling. In fact, it's hard as hell. Oh my God. It's so hard. And I deal with it all day at work. And then I have to come home and like still keep like a piece of that teacher hat on just to not come unglued on everybody. (laughs) I actually push back now as I'm older, when people say like, well, just enjoy every minute, just cherish every minute. And I'm like, Mm-mm. A, you go screw yourself because th- this is not enjoyable. At two o'clock in the morning when I'm crying over a poopy diaper, not enjoyable. Don't want to cherish this. And also this very passive aggressive, like mom guilt thing where if when a mom is not enjoying or cherishing that particular minute, you're like, oh my God, I'm doing this wrong because I'm not going to, I'm not enjoying this. And you know, I'm, I'm screwing this up. And so I push back on that really hard. It's like, no, 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 not every minute is enjoyable. Actually, there's whole swaths of minute that you minutes that you will be like, can we just delete that? I have a baby book for Ava that's like, I can't remember what the title of it is, but it's like a baby book of gross things. So it's like all this, like the first time you pooped on someone in public, when your belly button stump fell <laughs> off the first time, like just stupid stuff like that. And I'm like, this is the things I'm going to remember the rest of my life (laughs) well and I love that because it sort of takes it out of this rarefied air of being like you know motherhood is next to godliness or something and makes it like it's a natural part of people's lives and there are some really amazing things about being a parent and then there are some really annoying and awful things about being a parent Jess and I talk about when we talk to people we're like which should we have kids or you know I've been asked that a couple times 
I say, well, you know what? It's emotional math. Uh, what you're losing, it's not in the same category as what you're getting because you're going to, yeah, you're going to lose sleep and you're going to lose your freedom and you're going to, it's going to cost money. The first time your kid smiles at you, it doesn't cancel out all of that stuff that you have dealt with, but it's a whole nother level of fulfillment. The first time, you know, the first time they walk all of that first, or, you know, now that both of your kids are older, all of our kids are older when they do something amazing and you're like, how did that person come out of me? Oh my gosh. Right? Yes. It's just, you're like blown away by their abilities and their talents. It's not the same though. There's still emotional math at 15, which is like, what the hell is your problem? Stop <laughs> with the attitude. Also, this is amazing that you do this. I literally just texted my mom less than a week ago. I was putting Owen to bed and he's like falling asleep. I texted her and I was like, can I ask you a stupid emotional question? She's like, okay, sure. So I was like, do you still look at us sometimes and be like, holy cow, I made that. This is amazing. This came from me. What the hell? And she just texted me and goes, no, I'm not impressed at all anymore. And I was like, oh, thanks. Oh, like, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. She's like every day. She's like, the feeling changes, but it will never leave. I'm like, okay. I love her. Just to rewind a bit, because we did kind of get off on tangent, but it's a good tangent, right? Um, which is related to this question of like, Ava was hard. How was she hard? Developmentally and everything, she was right, right on track, if not ahead. Um, she's always been very, very smart. She's always been very, very busy. Babies are busy. I get that. She was like, the minute she could move was dismantling anything in her past and just like so smart. She was talking really early. She was reading super early, just a constant handful. And then like, we also couldn't afford daycare for two kids. So that, or childcare um, for two kids. So we had to really check that in our budget and stuff like that. And then by the time she hit kindergarten is when I decided to get pregnant with O or when we decided to get pregnant with O. And by then we knew she had ADHD but they wouldn't do a diagnosis until she hit school. And it started to affect her work, which it immediately in kindergarten, it was by Halloween, I think she wasn't even allowed to go to the Halloween program. Oh, wow. So like it happened fast when she got to school. <laughs> Looking back, right? You can see a lot of stuff in retrospect. Were there things where you're like, oh, if I had known now, then I would have seen this, that, and the other thing? I honestly don't think so. I remember asking her pediatrician when she was four, I was like, I really think she has ADD or ADHD of some part, like, you know, and as I'm saying that she's like tearing up the paper on the thing and she's on the floor and she found the crayons in a bucket and she had like opened a drawer somewhere. I'm like, holy cow. I thought you were talking about the doctor for a second. <laughs> no, no, Ava. <laughs> I was like, the pediatrician needs to calm down. And he was like, at the time it was a different pediatrician, but he was like, oh, I can see it. Like you can see it right now, but until it starts affecting your schoolwork, like oh okay so like you don't really think too much of it you're like okay I guess this is quote-unquote normal and then like immediately and they were like whoa pump the brake <laughs> your kid is out of control okay wow but I don't think looking back other than just thinking like she was a busy busy ass kid I don't think I really would have thought anything else was wrong was she easily distractible when she was young like a toddler would she be like this and then she'd be like that and then like or was it just like one to the other, to the other, to the other. More one to the other, to the other. Um, she's always been able to focus on multiple things, but she's in constant motion while she does it. 
So like she can, she reads two or three books at a time. I don't know how she does that because I can't keep the plot straight on one. She paces all the time and she'll have her headphones in and she'll be like listening to a podcast and pacing, but somehow still doing this word search on the table when she pops back through and she'll like stop and find a couple words and do it and then like off again. Um, so it's not necessarily the focus so much as the actual just physical movement. Like it's very hard for her to do, sit still. How about emotionally when she was a kid? Like, was she a snuggly kid? Did she want to, did she want to cuddle to go to bed? Did she give hugs and kisses? Yep. Um, pretty snuggly, pretty happy, very lovey. Um, she never liked strangers ever, ever, ever. It was like me and Luke, my parents, his parents, and like pretty much anything beyond that. It was like, she shut down. She wanted nothing to do with you. Um, which we just thought like, was kind of her whole life is us right here. Like maybe that's normal also. Like we don't, we don't take her a ton of places. We don't, you know, we're not religious people. We don't go to church. We don't, like it's it's us. She goes to childcare, but that's where I am. So she was with me, and then it was like our family. So we just kind of thought that was kind of again, quote unquote, normal. But um, the older she got, more like, okay, I can see all these other kids around me that will like, they'll come up and say hi to me, or they'll at least smile, or they'll ask me a question, or it's like, Ava, can you go ask so and so if you want to play, or if they want to play, and she's like, no absolutely not like you do it I'm gonna hide behind you even if you did do it I probably am not gonna go that kind of thing very very antisocial earlier in her life I can imagine you know like having a healthy sense of like stranger danger is not a bad thing to me right so I can imagine like in the beginning you're like well it's not also a bad thing that she doesn't go up to just anybody and feel comfortable with them yes right but it's after a while it's like okay like I'm here. I've talked to you. You're six or whatever. Like, you know, this person, I've told you they're safe. This is like, even like, this is your aunt or whatever. Like he's, she's like, "Mm, I haven't seen you since last Christmas. I don't think so. Like, we're going to just back off. But like to us, she was very, very lovey and in your face and snuggly. And it took us forever to get us, get her out of our bed. Like she was very honest. You know, some of those things, I just think about when Isha was a kid and Isha was really, really similar, super busy. That child to this, well, that's not true now because they are 14 and like to sleep late. But from the time, like literally from the minute Isha was born, did never wanted to sleep ever, ever, ever. Yeah, she doesn't either. Still. You know, most kids when they, most babies when they're born, they like comfort nurse and then they're exhausted and they sleep for a long time. Isha was up for five hours and regularly it would take us close to an hour to get Isha to bed as a, as an infant, but I completely understand this. Like, what did I just walk into? You know, I remember thinking like, one, I don't know what I'm doing and and this is not working. Clearly whatever I'm doing is not working. (laughs) And secondly, things were just fine before we decided to have a baby and we broke it. I remember thinking we broke it. (laughs) Exactly. That was us. We just bought a new house, all this stuff. I was like, what did we do? This is going just fine. And then we had this crazy idea. We thought it would be cute to have a baby. And now it's ruined. (laughs) (laughs) It takes a long time to get get your feet steady and then get your partner's feet steady and figure out who your kid is and then figure out how all that's supposed to work together. I remember looking at Brian... I was very sleep deprived, trying to breastfeed, blah, blah, blah. And I looked at Brian, I was like, 
we done fucked it up. Yeah. Yep. It really does feel like that sometimes. Yeah, it does. And Ava is, have, do you know what an infinity battery is? I feel like I should I know it. I can guess from the name. <laughs> I feel like I should know it because I have Lex in my life, but. Heard this term. Basically, it's like a battery for like a power tool or something like that, that always has 100% charge. It doesn't slowly drain as it dies. Like it's 100%. And then when it's done, it's done. And you have to put it back on the charger. That is Ava. She wakes up now. She's at 100%. And she goes and goes and goes and goes until she just passes out wherever she is at the time. There's no wind down. There's no, like, she's just done. She's a, Ava's an on off switch on or off. Yes, I have a, I posted a bunch of pictures online when she was younger of all the places she's fallen asleep. Oh, I love those it's so like, much. Yeah. <laughs> it's like her sleeping like with a bag of rolls as a pillow and like <laughs> headphones on. And like one of them, she has one of Luke's hats and she's like upside down. In the, I don't even know how it happens. Like it's just, it's, she is an infinity battery. That is my best description of her. That, that is a really, really great description. Because <laughs> I can just imagine like, Look, it's going, and then there's nothing left. Yeah, and then she goes to bed, and we're both like, oh, Jesus. You're exhausted, right? Yeah, exactly. She needs the, like, large large muscle movement, mm-hmm. which I think mm-hmm. is why she's in constant motion. So, like, even when she paces, she has, like, a spring in her step, I guess. Like, she pushes herself with her feet, and she always has large muscle compression going. Like, it, it must just be a mess living in her head sometimes. The large muscle compression... It's a newer theory or hypothesis of ADHD, right? ADHD, sensory issues. Um, I think sometimes um, kids on the spectrum, it depends on where they are on the spectrum because obviously, uh, you know, everyone's different. Right. So kids on the spectrum have sensory processing issues. It's either too little or too much. So they either need a lot of pressure or like they literally cannot handle normal shirts. Yes. And she does a little not bad anymore she used to be like if there's a button or if it's not stretchy like forget it you're not putting this on me and she's lost a lot of that but she really does like the like if she hugs you it is a full-on climb on top of you bear hug like I can't even do it anymore because she's too big but she still does it fluke um but she's always been like really big hard strong squeezes it just makes her feel better she would wrestle with Luke I mean she was a very physical kids oh right? very yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah they wrestled all the time and she's hilarious <laughs> she's always got some little snide comment or mark somewhere she's but... she smack talk luke oh big time yeah <laughs> all the time yeah I th- she would probably like she would like dog piles a lot like she would like to be at the bottom of a dog pile or the top either one neither one where she can show her dominance <laughs> well and also like feet can press down as opposed to being pressed down yeah I can see that so when did that show did that show up fairly early that like need for like pressure it did but I don't think we knew what it was like look that's one of the things I guess you could say looking back where you'd be like okay that like because it started as she would pretend she was an animal and she was like galloping or roaring or like all over the living room into the kitchen and then it moved from that to she thought she was a horse for a while and did the same thing horses are animals okay well she was doing dinosaurs <laughs> mostly oh, okay 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 yeah <laughs> but um and then she moved to horse and so she was like galloping all over and now she does the pacing and at some point through all of this they mentioned something about the large muscle and I was like oh my god I think that's what she does <laughs> she's just doing it on her own we didn't know it was a thing yeah 
I can see that. So she moves into school. It sounds like that was a really rough transition. And I don't know if we didn't see it as much because I've worked with these women at Westminster for ever. So they're all, they're going to dote on her. They're going to, she's, it's a staff kid is different. You just you treat them different. I hate to say that, but you do. Um, so I don't know how much of that was kind of glossed over and like, maybe we would have known sooner. I don't know. Um, not any blame on anybody else there, but once she hit kindergarten, it was fairly immediate. And at first we thought a lot of it was stupid. Like she pushed so-and-so on the playground or she did this and it's like, okay, you have a playground full of five-year-olds. Are you telling me she's the only one that pushed somebody? Are you calling all of these parents? Are you doing, and it like progressed to like verbal threats that she had no idea what they meant, but she would just say them. And then she'd get in trouble for that. And then I think the, the catalyst that did all this was she actually, she tried to choke somebody. She had like both hands on the neck at five years old and had, because, and what we've discovered as this went on was that she had no idea how to channel this extra energy that she had. So it came out as anger when other people didn't understand her or didn't do what she wanted. Like she just would flip that switch and that's how things came out. So she was in trouble. I bet kindergarten, first, second grade, once a week, probably we were called like, you got to come get her. Like, Jesus. Yeah. I, um, I can commiserate with you on that. It's similar with Lex that he, in the sense that he gets very emotionally overwhelmed. And that's one of the things that happens in autism. I think a lot of people think people on the spectrum are shut off emotionally, but what I have read and what I have seen is that it's actually the opposite. It's so overwhelming that they need to withdraw with Lex, it's like when he gets emotionally overwhelmed, it's like the circuit to his brain shuts off and he's not thinking about what he's doing. He's just doing it. Although has Kosha told you that kicking, punching? Yeah, yes, that's what <laughs> Like at least you didn't do the same thing twice. So your brain's working that well. And it was so great. Like you didn't break the rule, but that wasn't the actual point of the rule. And that's Ava, because she also has an aut autism diagnosis. And that was one of the things in like third grade or something, they made her sit on a chair in the hallway and told her she couldn't get out of the chair. And then when they went and looked at her, she was like halfway down the hall, but she was still in the chair. Like she was just scooting the whole chair down the hall. Like she didn't get out of the chair. You've got to like. <laughs> and she was still in the hallway. <laughs> you didn't tell me I had to stay here outside this door. You said, sit in the hallway, don't get out of the chair check and check yep. what more do you yes, want exactly like so she does she does crap like that too like you know damn well what you're doing <laughs> when did Ava get the autism diagnosis the ASD diagnosis that was probably two to three years ago we had gone through the process once before the same time we did the ADD so she has an ADHD an ODD social anxiety and an ASD diagnosis technically okay so let's talk about Rather than bounce around, let's talk about how they occurred in chronological order. That's the only way I think we can talk about it okay. with any sort of order, right? So the first diagnosis was ADD. ADHD, yep. ADHD, okay. ADHD, and then the ODD came with that. Oh, that happened together. Now, can you talk about that? Okay, so ODD is oppositional defiance disorder, 
And it's very, very, very commonly linked with ADHD or ADD. I guess I don't know if one or the other makes a difference. And a lot of times, depending on the severity, if you can get the ADD under control, the ODD will start to fall into place with it because there's not a medication for it. There's nothing like that. Um, it's like behavioral therapy and then getting your energy and things like that in check. So when we got the ADD diagnosis, we also got the ODD and the social anxiety. Can you talk a little bit about how the ODD presented itself? Like when people think of, okay, so I, before you told me about Ava, I didn't know anything about ODD. I didn't what, either. <laughs> can you talk about like, what, how did it show up? How did it present? Um, it's a lot of pushback, mostly against authority figures is how, for her, how it presents itself. I think it, like Luke had made the mistake of following a couple of the groups on Facebook once. And he was like, holy shit, like she is not anything like some of these kids. So we can count our blessings with some of that. But some kids, it's really, really like dangerous, bad, like violent and that kind of thing. She's just like, she will argue with you that the sky is blue. Like there is no changing her mind. It doesn't like, you can go like, no, look, see this grass is green. She's like, well, actually it's blah, blah. And she'll go off on a tangent. And like, you cannot convince her otherwise. Very argumentative mostly in the face of authority figures and she'll put herself in date like she'll actually put herself at risk can you tell the story about the the juice boxes do you remember maybe the, what was it the uh that you bought you yeah. bought juice boxes yeah. and I'm with you. i rely on kosha to remind me of things that happen in my own life yeah oh 100 between between me and brian i don't know why <laughs> she even talks to either it's bad you too all right Sorry, yeah, no all three of you the three most important people in my life <laughs> we had bought ava she's always been very brand specific with food. Like to this day, she's like, the egos are in a different box. I don't know what's happening. But Luke had bought her juice boxes because she said she wanted them and she didn't like them. And he's like, well, they're there. So you need to drink them. It was probably four days later. She just hadn't drink anything. She just was like, nope, I'm not eating. Like we had to cave. Like there's no, like, like okay, I guess you win this one. So we'll go get something different. <laughs> well, and it's, was it like, you have to drink this before you drink anything else? No, oh, I mean, okay. there's other stuff, but she was proving a point uh, because that, that's, Ava's always proved, tried to prove a point. So and then we don't even realize it till a couple of days, all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, I haven't gotten her like a glass of milk. I, I mean, she was older. It's not like she was a baby and we were doing it, but all of a sudden we're like, you have not drank anything in like three days. Are you kidding me right now? Like you're okay. So <laughs> wow. that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I realized it's not fun for you at all at all but I personally admire <laughs> that <laughs> kind of like you want to fucking go <laughs> I can sit here not just all night I can sit here all week yep <laughs> yep I said I don't like the juice boxes <laughs> she's always been and if we wouldn't even show her like okay you like egos for example like she always liked Meyer egos you get real ones and she will take a bite and she'll be like, this isn't what I eat. Like she didn't want it. And she's gotten better. She's gotten older with that. But as a kid, it was like, she knew. And I don't know how she knew, but she's got a palate like nobody's business apparently. That's another thing about people on the spectrum is it's not all the same, but one or two sen senses are so heightened. Lex is very sensitive to smell. Like to the point where I was making, what was I making? I was making pasta, but it was like gnocchi. 
and he came downstairs and he goes, it smells like potatoes are baking. <laughs> it doesn't smell like anything to me, dude. No, <laughs> nothing. Ava's smell and sound. When Luke was studying to be a Cicerone, she was, I don't know, four or five. And she could pick smells out of his beer. Like he would like hold it out and she'd be like, oh, that smells like whatever it is. And I'm like, what? She should be a sommelier. <laughs> yeah, I was like, holy cow. And Luke can, Luke can do that with beer. I can't, it's bizarre to me. I'm like, whatever, they all taste the damn same. But. <laughs> it smells like beer. Yep, pretty much. So this was second grade, third grade, early elementary school when you're getting these two diagnoses, correct? It was, it was kindergarten. Kindergarten, okay. And then did that help? Like, was it helpful in the classroom? Did Ava get more support? Was there, a, you know, sort of accommodations for her so that her school experience was better? Yeah, at to a point. Um, her kindergarten teacher was amazing. We will never have another Mrs. Steele in our lives. And she pulled out all the stops that she could. Like, okay, I know that typically kids with ADHD like to know X, Y, Z. So like she had a special like clock thing on her desk where she could be like, oh, Miss Steele, it's supposed to be such and such a time right now. And you're clearly moving like, oh, okay, it was keeping me on track. Like she was great, but there was a definitely a zero tolerance policy, which is okay. But you also have to remember that they're five and six years old and sometimes they're going to throw a pencil at somebody. So there was a lot of being sent home for that kind of stuff, but the in-class stuff, they gave her as as much as they could without us going through the IEP process and stuff like that, which helped. It did help her a lot. So yeah, that's good. Did, does she have an IEP now? She does not. Okay. We actually, we talked about it, but with what we're doing at home and the work that like her middle school counselor and stuff like that we're putting in, we didn't feel it was necessary. She's still doing really well academically and she's doing much better socially. The pandemic did throw a hitch in that for sure. So we decided to focus more on getting her like the behavioral therapy and those kind of things versus trying to get the IEP when she's already doing okay in school. That was through elementary school. When did the ASD diagnosis come into play? Probably let's see, sixth grade went through elementary. So I would say the end-ish of sixth grade, God, was it? it had to have been right before the pandemic. And we went to Helen DeVos Children's Hospital and then they have this whole team. So you're there for like five, six hours and you do all this stuff in the morning and you hang out for like an hour and a half or so while all these doctors collaborate and then you go meet with them. And basically what they said was that, like they even said like, she is an anomaly. She is, she's very different she has a lot of these tendencies. We cannot say for sure, yes, she's definitely autistic, but if we give her this diagnosis, you'll be able to get the help you need like things that will benefit her. So we're giving her that ASD. So I do think she is, but I think she's like very far on the one end of the spectrum, but there's definitely tendencies there. Because you have gone through testing a couple of years before that at a different center. And they said, no. And then her psychiatrist was like, I really think she does. I really think she, I really want it. It's like, she pushed it for a while. I'm like, okay, we'll just go get it redone. And then she was like, I told you. Like, but <laughs> well, and I think what's interesting, there are two things that are interesting about that, right? One is that girls present very differently than boys. And the, the criteria are 
oriented toward boys, but girls are just generally much better at mirroring other people's behaviors. So young girls, you know, maybe they don't like people or maybe they don't, you know, all of this stuff, the, some of the behaviors um, that you were talking about before, but it's not enough to trip the category forward, right? Right. You just don't, you don't exceed the level that you would need to demonstrate to be on the diagnosis on the spectrum. That's challenging for girls, period. And I think it's also challenging for people who could use the extra help, but they're just subclinical, right? It's not quote unquote bad enough. Yes. You don't go, you know, you don't exceed the criteria, but you could certainly use the support. The ADD, the social anxiety, like that's very obvious, very present. But yeah, the ASD is definitely like a, you, you barely notice it, but it's better for her to have the diagnosis so that we can get the right places. Absolutely. The one thing I remember when Lex was diagnosed, and he was young, he was almost, he was three when he got this diagnosis. But I was having this like, oh my God, like I was having this moment about like, what does it mean? We had a great ABA therapist. He was like the supervisor and he was doing the testing to be like, okay, what's going on? What kind of interventions does Lex need? And he said, you know, one thing to remember is autism, ADHD, all of these behavioral disorders, humans decide what constitutes having a disorder and what is fine, right? He's like, this is where the levels are right now. If we set them lower, more people would be on the spectrum. If we set them higher, fewer people would be on the spectrum. It's not like having pneumonia where it's like, we can see why you're sick or measles. Here's an, a, a foreign body, it's a microbe that's causing you to be sick. We're looking at your behavior and we're saying, this is problematic in, in sort of society in general. Autism rates go up and down, ADHD rate, all of this stuff goes up and down depending upon what we decide is the threshold. Yes, that's very true. And it was like this big reminder to me, like, you know, if he didn't get the diagnosis, he would still be him. And Kosha talked me through a lot of that too when she was getting her diagnosis. It's like, it's just her with the extra name. Like it's still her, you don't have to worry about it because Luke especially, but both of us are like, we don't want her to be labeled, but she's going to be labeled one way or another by society. So we might as well get on top of it now and get, get her the help that she needs. But yeah, that's very true. They're still, they don't change because you get a diagnosis. You just get some help. My, Justin, my husband's, son's child is going to be 16 may already be Wow. Uh -uh. your husband's son's child that's not no correct. sorry my husband's brother's child there we go <laughs> i was like, like i didn't know justin had any other kids that was really okay. well also anyway. my husband's son's child would be my grandchild that mean i didn't even catch that i just was like justin had another kid okay anyway <laughs> so justin's brother's oldest child is going going to be or already 16 they got their diagnosis really late. They basically said, oh, I knew something was different about me. And this helps me understand what it is. So I think a lot of times kids know that they aren't, they're not the same as other people. Like all these other people can do this and I can't do that. Or all these other people are really interested in talk, want to run outside and play baseball. And I want to talk about math. And having the label 
can help those kids be like, oh, that's what's going on with me. And it's hard too, because like she can be very uncompromising with that. So it's like, these are my interests. And if that's not what you're interested in, then we can go our separate ways. She's like, see ya, I'm gonna go do my thing. And so that does get difficult because she like didn't outgrow dinosaurs for a very long time. We know more about dinosaurs in this house than I ever thought we would know in our lives. And it was like, well into late elementary, she was like, no one else likes dinosaurs. What is going on? Like, but okay, I don't care. I'm going to still go do my dinosaur thing. Like, so it does, yeah, you kind of ostracize yourself without even meaning to. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of kids on the spectrum are very singularly focused. She has a lot of different focuses, mm-hmm. but when she hones in on them, her memory is like, a, I don't understand. Like she, I, like, have you ever seen um, Criminal Minds? No, but I live with Lex. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the characters on there is Dr. Reed, and she reminds me so much of him. Not to that level. He's like a 187 IQ genius with this, I don't even know how to say it, that idiometric memory. I don't know how to say it. Eidetic memory. There you go. That, like that kind of, but he reminds me so much. You're like somebody will say something, he's like, actually, and he'll come out with some facts. I'm like, that's you. I'd never have felt dumber than since I've had her. There are a lot of times I'm like, oh, like we watched a movie and there was like, things carved in the tree and I was like what the hell are those she's like I think they're Norse runes and I'm like what she's like no I saw them in my witchcraft book and she like googles like the exact same rune I'm like okay yep it's a Norse rune okay got it sweet (laughs) I think that's also in a way like because Lex does the same thing he's like today I'm interested in this thing and he goes super deep and YouTube is so great for that stuff because it's out there when we were kids it's like you'd actually have to go to the library and know where to look and then maybe they wouldn't have it and now it's like you can just google something on or youtube and it shows up and you can read it but lex is really the same way so i get it it's like deep when something interests him it's very deep but a lot of different things can interest him at any given time it's a challenge and a half i'll say that that's for sure when she got her ASD diagnosis was that like an easier pill to swallow difficult like what were you feeling as a parent of this kid it was definitely easier than the first time around I mean I know it's a completely different illness I guess but it's like you've already been through all this testing you already know that her brain works a little differently you know she's 12 years old you already know her as a little person like it was I knew it wasn't going to change her. So that did, it made it easy. And I think we both knew she was just right there on the cusp. So whether we got the yes or the no to that really wouldn't have made much of a difference other than the help we could get. But really that one was a lot easier than like, you know, she's five years old and everybody's handing you this paperwork about how, you know, get on this now. You don't want her self-medicating when she's older. It's like, it's everything scares the hell out of you. And like, so that was a lot harder to swallow than, this other stuff later on how did people react around you if family members and her grandparents and stuff my my parents were a little more on my page with like the okay we can tell something's going on they're pro pro medication that kind of I'm very like if there's a pill for it give me it I will take it I don't like very pro medication and Luke is the exact opposite and so is his parents so while they didn't push back, like, this is wrong, this is much, like, there was a little more like, are you sure she needs to be on XYZ? Are you sure this is what you want to try? And how many did you get a second opinion? But they were always very supportive of the choices that we made. There was maybe a few more questions on that side. 
Was there like with the ADHD, did you get a lot of like, well, she's just a kid. This is what kids do. A little bit, but um, I'm very closed off emotionally with it, which you very well know. Never would have guessed. <laughs> I like to say that I have emotional constipation and Kosha has emotional diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's not that's not an inaccurate description. <laughs> <laughs> so we make one emotional GI tract that's like yes. really, really solid. Yes. <laughs> so you know, there wasn't a lot of pushback, I guess, on it. Because we didn't really advertise it either. In the immediate family, because, okay, you guys are watching her. You got to make sure she gets this pill at noon or whatever. But mm-hmm. it wasn't something we just were like, everyone, she has ADD. Please excuse any rotten behavior. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I get that. One of the things I heard with Lex is he'll grow out of it. I did hear that a couple of times. Yeah, maybe she'll grow out of it. And I mean, to a point, yes, because she's older and can control some of the energy. But like, she needs the help. Okay, if she grows out of it, so we're just gonna let her be miserable during these years. Like I have ADD. I don't have ADHD by any stretch of the imagination, but I have ADD, and like it was never diagnosed before. And like now that I look back, I'm like, oh my god, if I had like known about this, it harkens back to what Kosha and I were talking about in our gender and sexuality season. This whole thing about like it's a phase. Okay, maybe it's a phase. This is another set of things, ASE, ADHD, ADD, ODD, maybe even people going like, it's a phase. It's a, the kids, kids like to talk back. Kids like to test their limits. Kids can't focus, you know, which is true to some extent. You don't expect a child to be an adult, right? But this whole idea of dismissing something as a phase is, is can be deeply harmful. Yes, it can. And that was a big because when you do read that stuff, like if you don't help them, even if it is a phase, you don't help them get through this, they're eventually going to get to that point where you know, nothing I do is going to matter anyway. I'm always going to be in trouble. Nothing's working. I might as well just do it. This is easier. I'm just going to be, you know, I'm going to break the rules. I'm going to do what I want. It doesn't matter. Or if she gets older, like into high school or something like, hey, I found out that these white claws really help take the edge out. Like, I don't want that for her. So even if it is or was a phase, we still need to help her through it. Yeah, absolutely. Right, because you still have to go through the goddamn phase. Like, yeah, exactly. We were talking about being like a new mom or newly pregnant. Like that is a phase. Being pregnant is a phase, the definition yeah. of a phase, right? Like you get into something and you are going to come out of it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, so nine months is not a big deal. Eh, whatever. No, it's still something you have to go through it. Now you can either make it more tolerable or make it fucking miserable. And with kids, if you force them to go through, even if it is a phase, quietly, silently, miserably, you have other issues that compound these other mental health issues and illnesses and the rates of like self-harm and suicide and addiction, those go up. And, you know, I didn't even think about then also you are just telling them don't care you're dismissible right i don't care you'll be figured out figure it out on your own yeah that's so damaging so then you try to figure it out yourself but you're a kid and then you can't you don't figure it out the way in a, a like a healthy fully confident and even healthy, fully competent, like even adults don't figure it out super well all the time, but like, 
like you, you, you use, you use whatever you can, because it's not like you have a whole bunch of money where you're like, you know, I need to go to therapy, right? Like you're just like trying to figure it out however you can. And you go to White Claw, you go to Adderall, you go to whatever it is, you go to weed, whatever is going to help you self-medicate. And then you get in trouble for being a bad kid because you do those things. Yeah. Then you go to a place of like, like you said, I can't win. I must be a bad person. And when it goes from being guilt to shame, you've lost, you've lost, right? As a parent, you have lost. Yep. Guilt is you did something quote unquote bad. Shame is you are bad. Once the, once a kid makes, or a person makes that transition from, I did some bad stuff to I'm a bad person. It's so hard to bring them back. Luckily, I don't think she's ever, I mean, she has definitely had some thoughts, but as a general rule, she's never been a, I'm not good enough kind of a person. Like, I honestly think that's a little bit of her ASD where she was like, this is me, this is who I am. And I don't really care what you think or what they think or anyone else. So that has been a little bit of a blessing. She definitely has had her moments where she feels useless and stuff, but overall she is who she is and she likes that. So that's awesome. (laughs) Pretty healthy for her. It's like the ODD too, being like, y'all can go fuck yourself. Exactly. There's times where it's like, she's very much her own person, like her own style, everything. And Luke and I want her to keep that so badly, but it's like, is there just a tiny bit of you that wants to conform so you don't just get like picked on and shoved in lockers and like, but you don't want to push that out of her either. And so far her peers seem to accept her just how she is and her weird little quirks. And she's going to wear the Ducks Unlimited sweatshirt her grandpa gave her 10 years ago like (laughs) Like, she doesn't care like she just does not care it's really interesting that you say that because I I'm also very concerned about my you know Lex getting bullied he's going into middle school yeah and he's also really like this is what I like and I don't care and I'm just gonna do what I like and thinking about what kind of people generally attract that kind of negative attention right so the I'm not saying that anyone deserves it. So podcast people, let me just be clear. I don't think anyone deserves to be bullied. I have a working theory, a working hypothesis that the joy of being a bully is to see the reaction in the person that is being bullied. Oh, definitely. Right. It's not just, I'm going to be mean to you. It's that you are feeling my meanness. And for a kid like Ava, it's like, I don't do whatever you want. I don't fucking care. It's like, there's no take. It doesn't take, right? Where it's like, it's Teflon. All right, you can fucking call me names. I don't care. Oh, that's boring. That's boring. It's the reaction that, you know, that, that people want. Again, working hypothesis, but. No, it makes sense though, because they definitely, that's the reaction, the repeated behavior for the same action is the definition of bullying. So yeah, if you're not giving them that, they're like, hey, well, this is boring. Off we go. Like, like I would have been the perfect target. I would have stopped the second someone said anything to me. I would have been just the biggest bullied kid. There are some of your old, like, middle school classmates who are like, damn it, I missed another person. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. And it was, like, more free range then. It's like people didn't even think that this was bullying, right? It was definitely not zero tolerance. That was, like, a 52% tolerance back then. (laughs) For my birthday season birthday surprise season we talked to my eighth grade teacher and 
we talked a lot about how teaching has really changed so much in the last, you know, 30, 40 years, which is the kind of things that people are aware about now weren't even on people's radar screens. And that there's far more awareness of the dangers of certain types of behaviors, kid to kid, that people didn't even know about then. She's like, I didn't even know about, you know, we didn't talk about it. I didn't know about it. I didn't know how bad it was. I think that's where that old school generation comes in a little bit too. Like maybe she's going to get this label, but they're not going to march her down the hall to a separate classroom at the, you know, where everybody's going to see it. Like when we were in school, you knew where the special ed wing was and you like, it was very obvious. Like it's not like that anymore. Yeah. It's a lot more integrated and you're mainstreamed and things. So I think there was a lot of pushback from that generation. And the shame bell, like the shame bell on yeah. Game of Thrones. Nobody's sitting up there with a dunce cap on. Like it's not, (laughs) that's not how it works anymore. So. So Ava's going into high school next year, correct? Just like Asia. Yes. And your relationship with your child is moving into a different phase, right? It's less like I'm taking care of you and more like I'm trying to guide you. Yes. What's, what's been joyful about the phase that you're moving into now and what's been really tough for you some of the best stuff is that she's very much on Luke and I's level with um like the quick wit and the sarcasm and things like that and I just she roasts me on the daily like it's just constantly and it it makes me so happy because I'll do the same shit right back to her and Luke (laughs) and I both do so that's been a really fun phase. She's very smart. You can talk to her about anything. She's very um, up to date on politics, which kind of blew my mind a little bit. So she's like this tiny little adult, I guess. And we have a lot of the same interests. We watch her and I watch horror movies and forensic files. And she wants to be a forensic psychologist, like stuff like that. The difficult part of that sometimes for me, because I'm so immature, is to remember she's still a 14 year old kid. So sometimes I have to check what I'm saying or like my language or things like that. Oh, nope. She's still my daughter. She's still 14. Let's not do this. But then she's also wants to do so much of her own stuff, which is hard to let go, I guess, as a parent. Like when she picks her own stuff over like hanging out with you type of thing. Yeah. And she doesn't, she doesn't have, like, she has friends that she talks to. She does not go anywhere. Like if it's not with us or with my parents or Luke's parents, like she doesn't want to go to anyone's house. She doesn't want anyone to come over. She doesn't. So it's like, I either want to hang out with you and do this, or I'm going to completely ignore you the entire day. I will be in my room with my dog. Don't bother me. So like the teenage mood swings are really difficult. Like the PMS scene, whoo, buddy. There are so many days where she'll slam the door and go upstairs and Luke and I look at each other and we're like, what just happened? Like, this is ridiculous. I actually wanted to ask you about, so, you know, there, there are four diagnoses here and we don't live in a vacuum. Like, it's not like, well, this is just her ADHD talking. Can you talk a little bit about parenting a child in these intersections? We're talking about, oh, that, that's probably a little bit of her ASD, a little bit of ADHD or her ODD. Like you don't think about the world like that. You just have a kid in front of you. So how difficult is it to kind of balance the diagnoses and the medications? And is it just one big plan or is it? No. No. (laughs) So we started with her pediatrician and she was going to, she started her on a non-stimulant for the ADD and then like an antidepressant to help with the anxiety. 
completely went off the rails. Like she emotional, angry, like she was already angry. And then like this just completely, it was awful. Even her pediatrician was like, I'm not comfortable treating this combination. I think you should see a psychiatrist, blah, blah. So we got a psychiatrist and it's been since then a constant medicine change. Like it is constant. Uh, we see her like every six to eight weeks and almost every time we change something, add something, lessen something, like increase, like always something. When she was little, little, it was really difficult to decide how much she could control and how much she couldn't. So it was like, are you acting this way? Like, should I be getting after you about something or can you really not help what you're doing right now? And like, then that punishment per se is different. Um, but now that she's older, there's, it's easier because you, she, she knows what she's doing a lot of the time and maybe she can't help it, but she is old enough to be able to control her own reactions. So we have to have that conversation a lot now where it's like, okay, I understand that it bothers you and Owen eats. You can hear it. That's a you problem. He's going to eat. If you can't be here, then you need to go up to your room. Get him. And then to her, it's like, that's not fair. I was in here first. And I'm like, it doesn't, he's going to eat. I'm not going to tell him he's not going to eat. So it's like, as she gets older, it's easier to kind of put your foot down and be like, okay, you know what you're doing. Like, this is something you're almost 15. You can figure this out. It sounds like the older, you know, the older she's gotten. And I agree. I mean, this is true of every kid, right? There's less to manage because she gets to make a choice. Do you want to sit here and have this thing bother you? Because yeah, sure. You were here first. And do you want to make a stand about that? Or do you want to leave and have it be comfortable? Both of those choices are fine with me. You can't take it out on him though. Yes, exactly. But it's not his fault that he's eating. He's not doing anything wrong. Right. Also, do you say, I've been listening to your father's jaw click for 25 years? <laughs> I have 100% said that. Like, you don't think I want to kill your dad three times a day? You don't think that happens? But I don't. I'm an adult. <laughs> I am the embodiment of what it means to actually rain in your reaction. <laughs> I just plot my revenge, but I don't actually do anything about it. So yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like now, because she's older, because, you know, when kids get older, they get to have more freedom. They get to make more of their own choices. There's less to manage, but there's still situations in which obviously she's not ready, right? There's beyond her ability to manage. What, what's it like to advocate for her? And what's the balance of you and Luke doing the advocating and, and like helping her advocate for herself? Oh gosh. So Luke is really good at pushing her more to do her own advocating kind of a thing like to her like if she has to miss school because she has a psychiatrist appointment or something like to her she doesn't have to do the work that day she on there she don't care Luke's like I'm not handling this for you email your teacher find out what you missed that day you have a zero in your like so he's really good about making her and I'm a lot more like oh no I'll email him and find out what happened and we'll like so I'm not the best at that kind of stuff but we do we do make sure everyone knows at the beginning of the year that she has like a specific set of issues and please contact us if you had like she does xyz this is what you're going to notice if it's destructive if it's you know whatever talk to us and then we're on top of it with the psychiatrist and we're starting behavioral therapy next month that and then i've become just in general more vocal about it i think i hid my own stuff for so so long that did me no good at all 
that I don't want that to be the same thing for her. So we try really hard to get her to talk and open up and then we talk and tell other people and you let her, I mean, obviously now as she's older, you let her lead a lot of that. Like, obviously you asked her, like, can I be on this podcast and things like that? I have noticed you post things on Facebook. You, you post either funny things or stories or advocacy pieces. What has been the advocacy piece that has scratched the itch for you more? Like we talk a lot on this podcast about everyone has a different way to advocate, to, to be an activist. I don't march. I, you know, I donate and I do this podcast. Like that is my, that's where I feel the strongest. Where do you feel like you have kind of been able to stretch your legs when it comes to advocating for her? That's a tough question. I I just don't, I don't think personally we've done a whole lot like out there in the public advocating for kind of thing because it it literally has been survival. Like we don't know what we're doing. We're not going to start like blasting this all over the place and we're completely wrong or it ends up back something so like that we haven't done a lot that way it's more very personal um, making sure she has exactly what she needs and like she has all her little quirks and stuff it's like, okay she has to have these binders that color coordinate with each subject and that like so we make sure she has all those little tiny things that would set she has noise canceling like earbud things that can go in her ears we had to make sure that the teachers know she doesn't have headphones in. They're just little like white noise almost. Yeah, whatever makes her comfortable, I guess. She, for a long time, she had to have the like the chew necklaces and stuff like that. She stopped doing that as she got older because she was embarrassed. So we give her like, so she would have like bracelets and things like that, that she would. So we just always make sure she has the equipment she needs to get through like <laughs> a day, I guess, without too much stress. I need that. I need that advocacy for myself. We all do. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think that some, to be an advocate, you have to be this like outward marching, you know, effigy, effigy burning person. Like advocacy comes in so many forms and you can't advocate externally in the world for Ava. If personally and internally, it's not, it's not doing anything. So I, I mean, I, I think we, as a, society and now I'm just going to blanket it all but we need to change our definition of advocacy and activism like those little things like those are because if she didn't have you know the the sensory bracelet or if she didn't have her color coordinated binders her day goes off the rails yes and so like who cares if you're marching if your daughter is struggling at home right so yeah I mean I think I think doing those little things get missed sometimes and it's a lot of like preparation she needs to know what's happening she needs to know the plan and if we have to deviate from the plan she needs a lot of advance notice basically which is hilarious because deviating from the plan usually happens in the moment no no (laughs) I know but recently she just flew for the first time with us and she was a mess and I was like are you scared like what's going she's like it's unpredictable she had no control the flight was it was supposed to leave at 553 it is now 607 why are we still on the ground like she wants to know like that is completely out of her control and she doesn't like it so like that kind of thing so we have to really like okay I know we were supposed to do this today this happened now we have to do and it takes her a little while usually to get her shit in order but um a lot of that stuff for her (laughs) so I'm imagining and 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm imagining that Ava would not like to be on this podcast. Probably not. She listens to it. I that I loved that. Was it when Isha was on Chelsea? I think so. Yeah, I said told her she should listen to it, and she's like, "Oh no, I follow that." I'm like, "Oh, oh of course awesome. you do." All right. <laughs> um, and and I can understand. It's sometimes it's hard to talk about your own stuff. Here's my tough question: If Ava would be on, and I'm asking you to speak for her, what would she want people to know about? Oh, geez. ADHD, ODD, how those, the interaction of all of those things. What do you imagine it's like living like in her head? I know that you don't know for sure. Uh, none of us know. But like, if Ava, if Ava could speak through you, what would she say? As Jenna is answering the, or thinking about the answer to this question, I'm just going to say, this is a really great way to get Ava on the podcast because she <laughs> will just want to be on to prove Jed wrong. Wrong, exactly. I might be like, Ava, if you come on the pro- podcast and you say something that's opposite of what your mom said, we will post it all over <laughs> Facebook. Yeah. She'll be like, I'm doing it. Right. Well, and that's like, your mom said, your mom said this. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's not what I think, right? That's all. No, I would never say that. Um, if I had to guess, I would say that she would want people to know that there's a lot of things she can't help because I've heard that from her a lot. Like if she gets in her like pacing mode, she has like a path she uses from the living room to the kitchen. She has to move my furniture. It's like a whole thing. And it drives Owen nuts because it's always in front of the TV or whatever he's doing. So it drives him insane and he'll start complaining. And it's like, she's like, I can't help it. You don't know what it's like to not be able to help it. And then he gets all pissed off and goes up in his room. And like, um, she wrote me a card for Mother's Day. And that was one of the things she said was like, thank you for loving me even when it's hard to. Like, I know it's not easy kind of a thing. Like, I think she wants people to know that she's not. She knows she's not easy. She's not being rude. Yeah, she's not being rude if she doesn't talk to you. She's not, she's terrified. She's like, so I think that's probably what she would want people to know. And that, it sounds like, you know, if I can project a little bit more, interpret a little bit more, it's that she knows how she shows up in the world and how other people might perceive her and that she's, it's not intentional. I mean, it's intentional is that she's intending to pace, right? right? Yeah, yeah. But it's not intentional in the sense that she's like, you know what, I'm going to piss people off by pacing. Yes, exactly. And I mean, there's a portion of that with her brother, 100%. Well, that's, that's sibling stuff. Right. Does she have to pace in front of the television? Yes, exactly. right, right. That's her path. And that's what she'll tell you. This is my path. I go from this window to the counter and I don't like, okay. But um, yeah, I think a lot of it is she just, she can't help it. And I don't think she necessarily wants to be the way she is for lack of the better term for that, I guess. But she wants to be able to help it and she can't. Yes. Well, and that's a big deal. I mean, that's- and she doesn't like being on the pills because she said it doesn't make her feel like herself which I understand. I do understand. But I'm like, at the same time, like we are doing everything we can to help you. Like if you're not on these, there's no way you're going to make it through school. Like you can't sit still long enough to like, you at least have to have like a riddle in her. And as that is, she's on like freaking horse tranquilizers because nothing slows her ass down. But well, well, I think it's interesting that she's saying like, well, I don't like taking this medicine because I don't feel like myself. She loves herself. Kosha talks a lot about, you know, how schizophrenics are like, either it's, I took the medicine and I'm fine, or I don't feel like myself, but my best friend, Dawn, 
who has anxiety and depression, it's like, yeah, that's the point not to feel like yourself. Oh, I've done it a hundred times. I've like gone, I went, I once, oh my God, I thought Luke was going to leave me because I did it once without saying anything. And I was like, I'm just going to try it. I haven't had in it. You know, like I'm doing really well. I've been in antidepressants since I was 16 years old. I don't need these. And it was like a month or so into it. And I finally said something to him and he was so upset. I was like, I cannot believe you didn't talk to me. This is like, this is serious. You can't do that. Like, I love you. But I have to try to remember that for Ava too. Like, <laughs> Well, and the thing is like, if yourself is danger to yourself or to how you can navigate the world, then it's okay to feel a little bit not like yourself to help you. And not to say like, you know, oh, I want to medicate the shit out of everything because like just be a numb zombie, but, but it's really hard. And, and she's heard me say this, both of you have heard me say this a thousand times. You see this a lot with, especially people with bipolar one, when they have mania, you know, they get super manic and they're like creative and they're super productive and they don't sleep for five days and they get all this painting done and stuff like that. And then they can't do the same things. And people said that, for example, about Van Gogh. Well, if Van Gogh, like we wouldn't have, you know, sunflowers if uh, Van Gogh didn't have depression or whatever. It's like, you know, the, there was a tweet that was like, fuck you, Karen, Van Gogh deserves to be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. It is okay. Just because, just because you like to look at sunflowers. So I think that we, this is again about mental health stigma, right? Is it having to reframe what it means to navigate the world. And sometimes you need a little bit of help to do that. And that's okay. That is okay. And I hope she'll understand that someday too, that sometimes you just need help to figure it out. Like I've needed help since about your eight, like not on her level, but like I've needed help. Your grandma has needed help. Like, yes, some people can go for a walk in the woods and that's what does it. You're not one of those people. I'm not one of those people. And there's, there's a big difference between chemical imbalance Yes. and my life kind of sucks right now. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I've talked about it on this podcast before, which is People saying, well, my brain should work better is like me saying, well, my lungs should work better. So I'm not going to take my asthma medication because my lungs should work properly. But if they, I don't take my asthma medication, I can't breathe. So am I going to, you know, not breathe, have respiratory distress because I have some theoretical idea about how lungs should work? Or I'm going to go, you know what? I can't breathe. I need to take medicine. And we're very good about that kind of approach with our bodies. People are much more willing to medicate when it comes to physical ailments. Even you can see it, yep. Our mom has had pain for the longest time and has constantly gone back to the doctor to get a different medication, more medication. Doesn't do any mental health support. You know, we're like, go to it, go to a support group. It's been shown to help people alleviate pain when they go to support groups with other people with chronic pain. No, I don't know why that would help me. But constantly relies on medical science instead of social emotional support and science. It's imbalanced. And I think it's like the other way with mental health, which is why we try so hard to focus on the social emotional stuff oh, go out in the woods and take up a hobby and make sure you have a good friend to talk to. And 
okay, yeah, 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 that's all important. Right. But when there's actually a physical issue inside of your body that's creating this, these, I don't even know what to say, like that it's manifesting in these behavioral, social, emotional ways. It's not manifesting as I can't breathe. It's manifesting as I can't get out of bed. You need medicine for that. Yes. Yeah, I always say like people who have told me like, well, your anxiety is all in your head. And I've said, yes, that's where my brain is. That's right. why I need medicine for it. Yeah, I understand. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I know human anatomy. Thank you. <laughs> it's not sitting on my shoulder like a bad angel, right? It is inside my body. I understand how that works, but I'm also not making it up. I have some hope about this, which is that I feel like because of the pandemic or maybe maybe not because during the pandemic, people have really had to come to terms with like, I'm really struggling and talking about mental health and talking about what kind of support they need. And like talking about, you know, how that shows up in the workplace and workplaces have started to think about like, oh my God, we have to support a whole person and people are depressed and they're anxious and all this stuff. And we can't just be like, leave it at the door. Right. That there's much more conversation about that, that our kids will grow up in a world where saying you are ADHD and you take meds to manage your symptoms is not something stigmatizing. It's, oh, okay. Oh, well, I'm glad you're getting treatment. How's that working for you? You know? It's become much more commonplace lately, or the last several years for sure. Absolutely. Still probably not quite as much in kids. Um, that's, oh God, that has been a struggle. There is, there's no child psychiatrist in the greater Grand Rapids area. It's so hard. There is a, there is a shortage of psychiatrists in general. And then you do pediatric and it's like. Pediatric child and adolescent psychiatrists. And I will say, and this does not pertain to you, but I will say it is because it's the dealing with the parents, not the kids. I can see that. It's like deal, like no one wants to be a wedding planner because they don't want to deal with like the parents of the bride. It's like, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's because it's like we had zero choices basically. And as it is, we have to drive 40 minutes to see the one that she has. Oh, I didn't know that. And, yeah. And it's, and then because everything is so government regulated, like the medications and stuff like that, like, and I know that people misuse things, but like for us, like, she is a 14 year old girl. She just needs her. I can't even say the name of the medicine she's on, but like, okay, now we have to go see her and go through all these channels, like just refill the stupid thing. Like I don't, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's so frustrating. It, yeah, it absolutely is. And then because you're doing so much medical management and there's so much like turn and burn, like you have like 15 minutes and out that you're not having time to do actual like social emotional, you know, therapy with. And there's so much change. It's like, we'll go through another appointment and I'm like, okay, what does she get in the morning? what is she because she's small so everything is like here's a you have to make sure you cut this in half because she only weighs this much and like because she's just this little thing so everything is like a I have to write it all down oh yeah I, I have it all written down on the fridge I'm like this is what she gets <laughs> so as Ava goes into high school and adulthood it's not that far away which is no. you and I are on the same page with this which is how are how are our older kids ready to get driver's permit like learner's permits for their driver's license it's surreal. We let Ava drive the golf cart once and it was like 
immediately foot to the floor like just (laughs) I was like oh my god stop like Ava you can't she's her exact words because I said you can't just put it to the floor like that's not how this works and her words were if I can't just go fast what is the point I was like okay get out of the car clearly we're not ready for this yet like this is not gonna be but also she so here's here's the counter argument you can you have to work up to it (laughs) yeah right you don't you don't go from this is not a tesla it doesn't go from zero to 100 miles an hour in 10 seconds you can go fast but you have to start you have to give the machine time to warm up and get there she is like maniacal laughter just blazing through this field i was like okay we're not ready for this yet that that sounds very similar to something she has said before if you're not fighting to the death what's the point of fighting (laughs) oh yeah totally that's that's true. She's like saying like, well, there's another counterpoint, but it sounds very similar to <laughs> Right. I'm not arguing with Ava's desire to go fast. <laughs> what I'm saying is that if Ava wants to go fast, because she wants to go fast, she needs to find the right way to get the cart to go fast. It's not to slam it down. <laughs> right. Also, it's not going to work to slam it down. You'll have prop. I'm actually like, this is a coaching moment. <laughs> not a counterpoint moment. I do, I do like the, if I can't go fast, what's the point? That's an amazing- I totally agree. That's amazing line. That's why I have to put these things on Facebook. No one ever gets to see that part of Ava. No one ever gets to hear that, the funny stuff she says, or like, I, no one gets to see that stuff. And she always has something locked and loaded. Like if I get my hair cut or dyed, like all of a sudden she'll just be like one of these things and she's like, you look like, and she'll have some random character out and I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, how do you have this stuff like just locked and ready to go? She also, didn't she say something about bats where she was like, oh, she was like something like she was talking about bats. And uh, Jen goes, have you been talking to Aunt Kosha again? It's not my fault you don't, that you don't think bats are cool, I think, is what she said. I was like, all right. Well, I was going to ask Kosha, since, you know, you had said, Jen, that like, if I see my aunt one year at Christmas and next year, you're like, I don't know about you. Kosha, does she react to you like that? Like, or is she like really comfortable with you? No, we don't. We, I, I go through like phases of feeling really guilty myself. Cause I like, cause Jen and bats have a really, they're very, very close. And I don't have that with Ava or Owen. And so, yeah, like she knows who I am and she, like, she's really sweet and I've sent her a couple books and stuff that I'm like oh I thought you would like this your mom said that you're really into this or that and she'll text me and stuff but like I'm hoping that as she gets older we'll have more of a relationship because I I mean I think she's fantastic kid but she does like we don't see each other very often so there's a that social anxiety yeah yeah a lot of that is probably my fault too because it's such a stress to bring her places where I know she's going to withdraw and shut down that nine times out of 10 I'm just like just you just want to stay at grand maybe I should have pushed that more as she was younger but it's like if I'm gonna go I'm gonna go hang out with my best friend or we're gonna go to dinner I'm gonna be miserable if she's here because she doesn't want to do it she doesn't want to be there she's not gonna talk to you she's not gonna listen she's not like it just wasn't worth it and that probably is a a mistake on Luke and my part that we didn't push it harder when she was younger yeah, we'll put the blame on you instead of this. <laughs> that sounds good. I will not put the blame on you. But no, I'm I'm not. I know I, you're that kidding. was a joke. That was a joke. But I will say that uh, I remember she came out to dinner with us once when we were in Grand Rapids. The way that you because you had mentioned how Luke pushes her more, we had given her a book, and 
Luke was like, can you go up to Aunt Kosha and Uncle Brian and say thank you and maybe give a little hug? And she did, Ava did. And I remember Jen saying like, I wouldn't have even asked. Oh yeah, I would. You were like, I don't push her. I don't even ask. And you were really surprised that she did that. But Luke is the one who kind of pushes her to do more yeah. of that if stuff. If I had asked, she probably would have said no. So. Well, and I think it's really different to think about bringing her down to, down to Illinois when you are actually planning to see your friend and like, I don't, when I go to California, I don't take my kids with me, right? That's not, I don't want them there. It's another thing to be like, we are in a place that you are comfortable in and you can disappear. You can go up to your room whenever you're ready, but could you stay down here for three minutes and say two words? Like that's the push. And I can understand, Kosha has talked about her anxiety on this particular season a lot, but also over the course of our podcast. And I was just, just saw my parents and was reflecting on how when Kosha was, up until the time Kosha was four, all of, all of her passport pictures, she's crying in them and would not go to anyone except for mom, dad, our grandmother. And then like, could be without three of them if I were around. Like, really needed safe people and was uncomfortable with anyone else. That stuff does really show up early. And, and so again, I'm thinking like, oh, it's a phase or whatever. It's not a phase, you know, and like some kids, they have stranger anxiety and it goes away for a while, but you don't force your kid to sit with somebody that they don't know and freak the fuck out because it's a phase, right? Yeah. And if it's not a phase, then you can deal with it and you help them develop skills to deal with that because they won't be able to just control who they see the whole time, their whole lives. They will have to learn, as Kosha did, to speak with people that she doesn't necessarily know well, or to be comfortable in situations where mom, dad, grandmother, or I were not around. Kosha did learn. And so as I sit in a closet right now <laughs> with headphones and my best friend and my sister on the screen, that's it. <laughs> However, I would point out that you would not have met Jen if you were still with mom and dad and me. I, <laughs> you I wouldn't would have, have met Brian. Brian. Right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. think about all of the people you have met that you would not have met is if you were like, I can only be with these four people. Also, you would have straight up murdered me by Oh the- <laughs> no, I would have been like, tough luck, bitch, I'm out. <laughs> I'm going to move into that second to last question that we always ask, which is what advice, and this isn't like expert advice, right? This is, I've lived through it. And if someone is staring this stuff down, multiple diagnoses, not being sure what's going on with your kid, what advice do you have for someone who might be in the position you were in, you know, 10 years ago? Um, It's kind of generic advice, I guess I would say, but do not judge a book by its cover. I was 100% one of those people before I had Ava that you'd see the rotten kid on the playground being a jerk or you would, you know, the kid in class that's super disruptive and throwing. you don't know what's going on in that house or in that kid's head or anything. And it's, it's a struggle. Like it's a struggle for me. It's none of your business what's going on with her and being like, she's not just rude. Like if she gets a haircut, I'm like, really bad anxiety she's not just being rude I swear to but that's none of their business like I I just don't judge it I guess is what because then there's somebody like me that's struggling with like what how much do I tell you 
and how much do you need to know? And 100% of it is not your fucking business, but I don't want you, like, so I guess like really think before you're, especially kids, they don't know what they're doing. They have no idea. It's come up a, a few times with different people. Like so-and-so did this to my kid on the playground or whatever. I'm like, what do you know about that kid though? Like that was Ava. That was Ava. No one ever would have looked at her and thought that she would go choke a kid on the playground. Like you just don't know what's going on. So that'd be my biggest, have some compassion. Yeah, I love that. I appreciate that one because people judge my kid, but also it's easy to judge someone else's kid when they're causing your kid problems. The little girl that, that Ava got in trouble with in kindergarten um, the next day when Luke dropped her off, she went up to the girl because they were friends like so she went up to her and was like all ready to go and said hi and the girl turned her back on her and walked away and Ava's like whole body like Luke texted me that and I remember crying at work I was like oh my like she's still a person she still has feelings she's still she doesn't know what she's doing mm-hmm. and so like I'm sure this little girl's mom was probably like stay the hell away from her I can't believe she did this to you blah blah you know it's like they don't know and so then she comes in the next day like ready for a new day and this girl's like nope sorry and then she cries and so it's it's difficult. It is. It absolutely is. I think so many times, like when you look at, let's just call it generically, like a bully situation, right? Or like that there was a physical altercation. You look at the, who you think is the victim, right? And I think we're getting better at this with media and with like shows that show kind of the bullies like home story or whatever. But, but we don't talk enough about what the especially with kids, what's going on? Like, why did that person do it? They just get in trouble for doing it. But no one talks about like, what, what, what set this in motion? And before that, for me, I probably would have done the same thing. If somebody, if she came home and had marks on her neck from another, oh my God, I would have been beside Mm -hmm. myself. So like, I think it's probably been slightly good for us in that sense to have you know, that other, other view of it, I guess. Well, and that's, that's interesting. Cause it goes, I mean, in a way it goes right back to what you were saying at the very beginning about all these parents come in and they, their kid is the most precious kid to them in this setting. I don't want other kids to be neglected or injured, but my kid is the most important person to me. Your work in, in child, in childcare is to help these parents understand all of these kids are important to me and nobody's more important than anyone else. And so, yeah, as a parent, of course, you're going to, of course, you're going to be like, oh my God, what did someone do to my kid? How dare they? But they're also thinking, oh my God, how dare they, right? They've got the same thing going on in their head because they love this kid, not your kid. Right. It's, and it's so easy to be on the other side of that coin. So easy. Yes, it is. Oh, well, that is good advice for us all. (laughs) I was wondering if you were going to say it. (laughs) I think a lot of people come on when they talk about the advice and they're like, you know, the number one thing is like, I'm not an expert, blah, blah, blah. But also they don't think what they have to say is of any importance. You know, like you said, like it's generic, but you know, they, they always kind of want to put a disclaimer. We need to fucking remember these basic, like these Sesame street ethics. Yeah. You know, like, don't judge a book by its cover. Like, Elmo would say that, but 
there's a reason that we're trying to teach two, three, four, five-year-olds that because that is like some basic tenets of life. And we really, really need to be reminded of that shit. I think especially now when the world is burning. So I really do appreciate you. Don't just assume she's a mean kid and don't assume that we're not doing our job as parents either. Like you have no, no idea. Well, I know that, you know, there's a, like a joke saying that's like the best parent is one that hasn't had kid yet. (laughs) Yes. Oh yes. (laughs) Right. I will be the person who on a plane, I will sit next to the mom, right? Like with the kid. How can I help you? Can I pick that up? Can I get the diaper out or whatever? Or, or you walk into Target. There was some, I'm, I'm not going to take credit for this. Someone else said this, but you walk into Target before as a mom, you see a kid like having a tantrum and you're like, man, that kid is like so annoying. Like get over it. You're in Target. Yeah, get control. Now of that kid. I'm a mom. Yeah. Get control of your fucking kid. Now that I'm a mom, I'll be like, oh no, what did that kid do to that mom? Yeah. <laughs> It really is. Kid, keep this shit together so the mom can go to Target. So tell me about, tell us about your family act in whatever, at work, at at home, wherever you want to place it. Gosh, there's so many. At work, <laughs> we refer to uh, different peppers, <laughs> how, uh, how that kid's day has been, if they're spicy or if they're... Uh, <laughs> Like so and so's been a jalapeno today, kind of a, like. So we do that a lot. Oh, that's adorable. That's a work one, but has anyone ever been a Carolina Reaper? <laughs> a ghost pepper, yes. fucking ghost pepper. Yes, we use what's that? The Scoville scale, like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And we also call anybody that's like super enthusiastic about coming in and like teaching us. I like to call them apple sweater crazy. <laughs> Wait, like if someone is coming in for a training for you, for the teachers or something? Yeah, like, or if we go to a training, it's like, we've been doing this for so, so, so long. And nine times out of 10, the trainings are just redundant and we've done everything, but there's always people there that are like, so ready to go. And like, this is my life's mission. And what else can you tell me? It's like, calm down. Like their whole entire life is just based or like, and so we call them apple sweater crazy. They're probably really, really great teachers, but like, <laughs> It's like the, the teacher on a Billy Madison that had like, <laughs> like yeah, right. all the necklaces. Like, that's okay. Um, Owen has always had a super unique way of talking. So he has a ton. So there's like, he says blinkalet instead of blanket. He says, or he used to say dinosaur instead of dinosaur. Oh, that's, oh, a, that's, that's a good one. one. And then we call when, <laughs> when Ava's um, on the warpath, we call her Brittany um so there's like, like a, Britney Spears no just Britney like that's just her alter ego oh that's her oh, alter ego okay. Luke will come in and he'll be like is Britney here or is Ava here <laughs> like what's going on like oh it's, it's Ava today we're okay <laughs> and then probably my favorite is I gotta put my sister on blast she's gonna be so mad but <laughs> she brought all this stuff home like fancy hams and cheeses <laughs> she goes I brought this stuff to make a shoe to cray and I go, a what? And she's like, a chauticray. And me and Luke both are like, I, you know, and she's like, you know, it's like the ham and the cheese. And I go, a charcuterie? And she's like, is that how you say it? She had no idea that was how you said it. So now that is what it's called if we make one. 
we're making we're making shoot a cray from now on i actually made her like oh for christmas it's like cutting board and it says shoot a cray on it and i put like oh that's like, awesome cricketed, like teas and stuff all over it and it just sits on the bar at my parents house but yes that's, that's awesome so she love that i told everybody that <laughs> i love it i'm gonna i'm i love that so much i'm gonna say it um isha has one what was it Shulshi, that to the toothpaste oh colgate you should flip the flip the leathers and call it coglate once. And now we just call it coglate. Coglate. <laughs> Batsy was reading a book about Rosa Parks and about Montgomery, Alabama, and she called it Montagramy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I corrected her. I was like, but we'll call it Montagramy because that's what it is now. You so. just have to something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot a <laughs> That sounds so much better than charcuterie. She's going to be so pissed when she I'm so excited about that. Oh, I love you so much. I love you. Thank you for being on our podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. You better edit this and make me sound smart. It wasn't too scary, was it? It was was a little scary. (laughs) Well, she's super scary. I know I'm very scary. (laughs) I have been told I'm uh, overwhelming. I don't think you're overwhelming. I appreciate that. You're just much more social than I am. But that doesn't mean overwhelming. Well, people have also said like you have very forceful personality. Like people are surprised when they find out I'm five feet tall. <laughs> like you just have a bigger presence. Like not like a, they don't think I'm bigger. They just feel like you've got to be taller than that. Yeah, be taller than that. <laughs> yeah. We have a whole awesome screenshot series of Jen trying to make me feel better about something, but like autocorrecting or forgetting a word or something. And I have so many and they're so good. One of them, I was like, when I, oh no, we're going to go to the publican, but I just ran a 10K and she goes, don't stink too much. And I was like, I, okay. And she goes, I mean, drink, don't drink too much. <laughs> I don't know. I like yours better. Jen. I know the, the one that's amazing though, because this circles back to what people think about us. I was like, you know, sometimes when I, you know, I've had a couple drinks, I can be really loud and annoying. And she goes, you are annoying <laughs> instead of you aren't. But she put it in all <laughs> That's awesome. But then I didn't catch it either until you were like, wow, thank you. <laughs> oh, whoops. Yeah, she's like, no, not, not, not. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. I was going to say sometimes. At, well, <laughs> The, uh, Jen, I don't know if I ever told you, but we were talking about, I was worried that someone was annoyed with me. And she's like, well, I've been annoyed with everyone in my family this past week, but who cares? Like we get over it. And I go, um, what, when were you annoyed with me? <laughs> Instead of like taking the point as what it was. That would be my question. <laughs> and so she goes, does right now count? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, I love you so much. We love you. Thank you, Thank so, you much so much for coming Jen. on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Bye.